0: This is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in primetime women. We are Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B.
1: Peters,
0: and Dr. Andrea Gould. Dr. Greg Petersberg is a physician and the kind of wellness guide that most people only get to wish about. How often do we feel we are truly heard when we seek medical care? How often are we truly seen for the radiant and whole beings we are, possessing the potential for a healthy and peaceful life? As folks in the later chapters of life, the discussion we have often focuses on what's happening in our bodies or to our bodies. Some of the stars of these conversations are our hearts, our brains, and our overall feelings of well-being or lack of it. Our medical system has developed into specialties, and so we have come to buy into the fragmented way of looking at our complaints through the gastroenterological lens, the cardiac lens, or the orthopedic lens, or through the symptoms of heart attack, diabetes, dementia, cancer, or depression. For many of us, the first course of action is a chat if we're lucky with our primary care doctor and the net result is often a recommendation for medicine or procedure. Sadly, in the restricted and narrowed world of managed health care, the relationship with providers gets whittled down to recommendations that wind up leading us into a complicated labyrinth of measures that age us, compound our issues, and leave us passive, frustrated, and unhealthy. We are so fortunate to have with us Dr. Greg Petersburg, a physician with a tangible philosophy of health and healing and a creative and compassionate stance toward his patients. He is the creator of a curriculum for physicians called The New Art of Medicine and is passionate about shaping medical education into a more holistic mindset. He is here today to inspire us to be proactive, shift our belief systems, and encourage us to accept the responsibility for understanding the root causes of our problems and making the kinds of choices that support healthy living.
1: Welcome, Dr. Petersburg. We are so delighted that you're here, and we're going to call you Dr. Greg because we've gotten to know you a little bit now, and we feel very close to you and are very inspired by all that you offer. Welcome. We're so excited.
2: Thank you. I'm equally delighted to be here with um, the energy that both of you emanate.
1: On the way here, I was thinking of the actual title for this episode, and it occurred to me that we may want to call it Inspired Living, Uh, and not aging, because you are not about aging. You're about living. But let's just talk a little bit about your background, your history. Where do you come from? How did you arrive at this point in life? Tell us more about yourself.
2: Well, uh, let me start by telling you a real brief story. Um, I just returned from visiting my parents for a week. They're both 93 years old, they live independently, and here I am at the age of uh, nearly 68, and one would think that um, you should know it by now, that you should have it together. And the week I spend with my parents always reminds me that um, there's more to learn, there's more out of life. And as ironic as it may seem, if I can in one way or another emulate my parents, I cannot wait until I'm 93 years old.
1: How fantastic, how fantastic that you speak to that. The other day I heard a quote from Rita Marino, who's 86, and she said, I love this life so much. Isn't that the goal?
2: Right. Um, You know, I started out in medicine um, in a very traditional manner and uh, spent uh, 23 years in a primary care practice, which I loved dearly, and also as an emergency room physician. So I had an opportunity to see folks um, at the very beginning of life, delivering babies, and at the very end. But after about... 12 years or so my light bulb began to turn on in my in my brain saying you know almost everyone that i was seeing would not have to be here had they made different choices and it dawned on me that i had been trained to be a sick care practitioner waiting for things to go wrong in fact encouraging the public to not call me until you have a problem and that um, that didn't sit well and my paradigm began to slowly change in the 1980s and i started a long slow a rough journey to realize that uh, what i was meant to be it was a um, healthcare practitioner an upstream practitioner and that's where the last 15 years i've uh, set up my camp and i choose to work with um adults who are serious about aspiring to live the life they've imagined.
1: I love how you say on your website that we do not exist to find ourselves. We exist to create ourselves. To me, that touches me at the deepest core of who I am as a woman, as a person, um, and as part of Boom God is Sent a Radio. It's about creating all the time. That's what
0: we talk about all the time, right? That's what we're about. And we were so excited when we sat and spoke with you about the role of creating of aspiration in terms of creating our destiny, our health destiny, as you call
2: it. Right. You know, um, the act of creation can only occur in one time and place, the here and the now. And it turns out that the here and the now, being present with ourselves, is one of the healthiest things that we can do. As the Buddha said, you know, that um, the healthiest place for our mind and our body is not to be um, worrying and fretting about the past or anticipating problems in the future, but to live wisely and earnestly in the present moment. The act of... um, Nurturing our creative nature is one way to to bring us into the present, but it's also part of um, helping each one of us become who we are, Uh, the act of becoming, which uh, led to the name of, of my practice, Renaissance, which is an awakening, a becoming, a renewal.
0: We're back and reminded of the Zen saying that the mind should be nowhere in particular. And if that is so, and we are in relationship, let's talk about the importance of relationship. And I wanted to ask you what your stance is, Greg, on the doctor-patient relationship and how you inspire responsibility in your patients to take hold of their health destiny.
2: Well, the truth is that um, each one of us uh, can do more for ourselves than a physician can. We have the ability to uh, make the choices that are going to make or break our our future for us. As a physician, um, I was initially trained to believe that I was the only one who could know not only what was wrong, but how to correct or fix the problem. What I've learned over the years, and quite frankly, many of my folks I've had the privilege to work with, patients have taught me otherwise, that while I may be an expert in some ways about health and wellness, my patients are experts on themselves and their life and their narrative, their illness narrative in many cases. To the extent that um, we can tap into that mutual collective expertise, um, everybody wins. And furthermore, everyone comes with our own belief systems, our our own you know mental maps uh, of things, which are oftentimes a little muddied with generalizations and distortions and deletions. And it's important for me as a practitioner to respect and honor that narrative, although in some cases, my job might be as a guide to help them to perhaps rewrite their story so that it has a, a better ending. You know, the old saying that um, we can't go back and make a new beginning, but we can begin today to make a new ending.
0: When you meet someone for the first time, when they come to see you for their initial contact with you, how how is it that you... Um, create the atmosphere that would lead to um, the patient or the person taking responsibility and being able to acknowledge just what you say and what you believe about the power being within that client
2: or that patient? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, And to answer that, let me go back about 15, 16 years. When I decided I needed to move from downstream to upstream, I knew that everything had to change. And one of those um, changes was to, in, in a sense, invite the patient to tell me how my business should be designed and operated. So if I took a magic wand and said, what would a patient want when they pick up the phone, they would prefer to talk directly to the person that they're hoping to speak with, the physician, not a receptionist. When they walk into the facility, they don't want to sit for 32 minutes. They would like to be greeted and seen that moment. When they're in the room with their practitioner, they don't want that time to end at 12 minutes or after the first complaints ended. They want to be able to tell the doctor, doctor, sit down, I'm not finished yet. And when you go through that whole list, it's a pretty long one, by the way, Um, it, it, it makes a very, very strong point about everything that you thought you knew about practicing medicine um was part of the problem and that had to change so there is no waiting room because there's no wait um my patients know ahead of time that the length of our time together is entirely up to them we set out on a mutual agenda what's on your table today what's what's a you know medicine by the language we use limits it we talk about the quote chief complaint which means one thing. So the, the old, um, it's kind of a sad joke, but uh, if a doctor would really like to kind of in- indirectly know what those other issues are, because most people come with two or three, is you stand up and you put your hand on the doorknob like you're leaving, and then the patient says, by the way, there's two or three other things I want to talk about. And then we say, oh, well, that, maybe better make another appointment.
1: That's what happens. That is personally, but I have experienced myself. And sometimes you go in with more than one or two, maybe three, five, or seven, and they're not all huge things, but you want to have the opportunity to speak with uh, the uh, individual who's helping you to understand the whole picture. But if it's only top three things, well, we didn't even get to number four yet.
0: And they're all interrelated. Of course. And so um, Dr. Greg is talking about creating a an atmosphere. A space,
1: right? It's right? like just giving this person a space. Here's the room. Here's for you. Here's the space. It's so amazing. So that's one of the things that you do in your practice. And I'm such a list person, you know. I just like want to get, okay, what are the four things that we can be doing right now to stay uh, proactively age, to be proactively aging, to be youthful. Uh, and then we can just kind of delve um, into them. But what are the top four things?
0: Oh, let's think about that. And let's have our listeners be thinking about oh, that. Oh, fantastic. While they pour themselves a cold drink. Yes. or we'll hold a warm cup of something delicious and we'll be back. Perfect.
1: We're back with Dr. Greg Petersberg, and we're talking about the concept of proactive aging and lists of things that we can do right now to stay healthy, strong, vital. But Dr. Greg, can you just begin a little bit about the concept of proactive aging? How would you define that?
2: Well, somebody said once a long time ago that um, we don't grow old, but when we stop growing, we become old. And I think it really summarizes to a large degree what what it's all about is um, it's always making a commitment. If there's one word I guess I could use, it would be commitment, a promise. Today, I'm going to make a choice about my breakfast. I'm going to make a choice about how I relate to people or the sleep or the food or the physical activity I do. It's a promise that we make to ourselves.
1: Consciously, on the conscious level.
2: I I think that that's that's a requirement before anything else. But to make that commitment, um, also I think there's some underlying elements too, and that's to have hope. And unfortunately, the traditional medical system, the way in which we're given hope is that we believe that there's going to be a pill I'm hopeful that science will come up with a cure, a pill. What if Pfizer or Upjohn or Wyeth announced that they had a vaccine that could prevent 90% of all heart attacks? Would you get one? Yes. Yeah. But the sad truth is 90% of all heart attacks never have to happen in the first place. Wow. We don't require, Wow. Vaccines are not required. It's the choice. It's the commitment that we make to ourselves.
0: One of the things that 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 comes up for me when you talk about that and when we talk about that is that most of us would prefer to have control over how our health journey plays out. We would prefer it, and I think that that um, we've ushered in a period of lots of talk about food and lots of talk about exercise and boils down to many times people having the, um, the vision to know how to shift their habits, change their habits, change their beliefs, take baby steps. So if, if patients, if individuals, prefer to have control, what's the resistance about? Why is the authority so easily given over to the historical doctor-patient relationship in terms of the authority
2: piece? Uh, Dr. Andrea, you, you may actually be in a, as good a position to answer that as anyone. What I, what I see, the term is used, um, uh, it's called ambivalence. And ambivalence is a state where I, I, I want to change. I, I want to quit smoking. Um, I know that it's gonna, going to be better for my heart. I know that I'll be able to breathe better. But you know what? That cigarette calms my nerves. I feel better when I have that cigarette. Or it helps control my appetite. Now, you know, if I stop, I might put on five or 10 pounds, whatever it is. So we want to change and we don't want to change. And I think that's the truth with control too. I want the control, but... And whenever we hear that word, but... Uh, that's the clue for us.
1: I want the magic. I want the control and I want the magic. I do want that pill. I want that pill that says, no, you will not get Alzheimer's. And I know we're going to be talking about that as well, but I won the secrets. I won the secret of youth. And I believe that Dr. Gregg has a good amount of that that we can't wait for him to keep sharing with us. Wait a
0: second. There is something that's a little bit magic. And that's that, you know, the old adage, nothing succeeds like success. Right. And so we go back to one less cigarette a day or one more green vegetable a day, there seems to be some uh, sense of confidence building that really does need to occur in order for habit change to take root. I just wanted to say there was an insight that you reminded me of, or actually an experience long ago that I had a client who was literally dying uh, of uh, congestive heart failure, and he was continuing to smoke And we were about the same age. We were in our 50s. And when I explored it with him, and he was happily married, and he had a family and a successful business, he said, I can't give up smoking because my cigarettes are my best friends. Right. And And I'll never forget that. Yes, and
1: that's so true. And I think another element that you just identified is that we don't want to deprive ourselves, right? That's why we are not committed to the action that we know ultimately is best for us. But I don't want to deprive myself of having no wine. I don't want to deprive myself of not, you know, having a little piece of chocolate cake because I feel I um, deserve that, and it makes me feel good. So that's another thing.
0: There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good words there. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: You know, <clears throat> I ask folks um, up front when we're sort of doing intake work how they would rate their their overall health. And I will tell you that um, since I've been doing um, healthcare and preventive aging medicine, and I ask that question, I would say that uh, probably. 80 plus percent of the folks who answer that question say my, my health is good to excellent. And then we go down the list and say, well, are you on any medications for anything? Yes. Um, I'm on, you know, a blood pressure pill, a cholesterol pill, a pill for my, um, my diabetes, etc. So you have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, but you said your health is good. Mm. Well, yes. As long as I take those pills, my blood pressure is normal according to my doctor, my cholesterol is normal. And, and so we've fooled ourselves um, into thinking that's all we have to do, that I'm in good health. I'm thinking like, why are you even coming to see me then?
1: Right.
2: Um, when in fact, all we're doing is treating a symptom. It's like uh, your, your cell phone. If you turn off the, um, the ringer, you'll never know if someone's calling. And when we take a pill to stop the pain or to lower the blood pressure, we never know that the disease is still there. We've just shut off the ringer.
0: That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful metaphor and a really good way to describe that. Um, I have a, I have a, a curiosity, Dr. Gregg, and that's that in the past couple of months, I would say I have more people in my life as clients or as friends that have gotten diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease which is thyroid dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of talk a little bit about why this diagnosis has has become so primary? What what has happened in the medical field that people are so alert to now Hashimoto's disease as an autoimmune?
2: Yes, uh, that's the word right there, um, autoimmune. Our bodies are recognizing our, ourselves as being foreign invaders et cetera. but let's look at it at a broader on a broader scale all autoimmune disorders look at um, you know most asthma which in many cases is an autoimmune disorder it's increased over 200% you know in the last decade wow all autoimmune diseases are in fact um, it's it's a symptom of a change in our eating habits and our lifestyles our environment the things that are you know triggering constant inflammatory responses for example so you can look at almost any immune disorder or autoimmune disorder and it's a result of of our choices the foods that we eat are i mean if you want to start at the very ground cereal. Let's,
1: let's tell us about the food. Yes. What should we be eating? What should we be eating right now? Or what should
0: we be alert to in the foods that yes. we farm yes. and the foods that we purchase? Yes.
2: Well, every uh, there's a different answer for everyone, right? We're all unique. There's no one right answer for, for everyone. But when it comes to things like um, Inflammatory disease, which, by the way, is the root cause of, of most heart disease, and it's one of the major contributing factors for Alzheimer's disease, and even things like osteoporosis and obesity and diabetes, just to mention a few. Yes. Well, let's go back to our early days as humans, when we were, you know, living mostly outdoors and depending on, on the environment or food and shelter and our first line of defense our very first line of defense is inflammation if you cut yourself you want to be able to stop the bleeding if you get a sliver in your hand you want your uh, immune system to have an inflammatory response so that you don't die um and 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 so we need that but when those situations are gone we want our immune system to subside our our foods have a large role in regulating how that happens. One of the precursors to the inflammatory agents in our body, oftentimes icosinoids, leukotrienes, there's a lot of fancy names for them, come from omega-6 essential fatty acids, which um, today are in most foods that people eat. Processed vegetable oils make up, you know, Corn oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, are huge sources of um, omega-6s. Omega-3 fatty acids, which most people are familiar with, fish oil, for example, is a precursor to the development of most of these sort of anti-inflammatory agents in our body. And we need some of each. We should have a balance of maybe one-to-one or two-to-one of the omega-6s. But you know what the average is in the United States today? No. 20 to 25 times more omega-6 than omega-3. We are generating an inflammatory response just by changing our eating habits today.
1: We are actually pouring oils into our body, uh, fats into our body. That are rancid. That are rancid.
0: rancid. Yes, yes.
2: That's a slightly different um, issue here. We need oils, we need fats. We have to have omega-6 fats. Otherwise, we would die, um, but we also need omega-3s, and we need these two in a, in a ratio of balance, and that's where you know, things get out of line. Second, um, foods that are very, very rich in um, you know, refined carbohydrates, anything that raises your blood sugar will actually shift and promote formation of these pro-inflammatory agents in, in your body. Uh, so
1: those are to be avoided, I mean, or limited.
2: Refined carbohydrates. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, nature gave us um, complex carbohydrates in fruits and vegetables. It wasn't until about 10,000 years ago when we realized that we could carry a bag of seeds with us, you know, as a migratory people and plant and grow food and eat it, that we started seeing things like dental decay and obesity and um uh, diabetes and so forth begin to show up in, in humans. But there are other sources as well, and it could be in, in the uh, protein sources. Uh, you know, back in when I was a young boy in the, in the early 50s, my grandfather up in northern Wisconsin had a, a farm and he, he had cows and pigs and chickens, and, and they were all grass fed and they're all organic and they're all free range. And he died at the age of 99. Um, as a, a healthy, vital guy, but today, that same beef and those chickens are now grain-fed. Um, they're given antibiotics and, and hormones, but the grains themselves are causing the, those food sources to be rich in something called arachidonic acid, which makes us inflamed.
1: Oh, my gosh. So that's just food, right? That's just one item, food. When we come back, we're going to cover at least three more because I'm such a number tracker. We'll be right back. Well, we're excited to be back and meandering along the path of discovering what the continued fountain of youth is for all of us. Because if you saw Dr. Greg in person, you know he epitomizes that completely.
0: He let us back. know. He let us know his age, but we <laughs> you'll see a picture and then you'll be able to judge for yourself. Yes. So uh, what were the other questions that we wanted to ask about? When talking about the agents, what else is, is involved in proactive aging? And, of course, making food choices is always the thing that we first start speaking about because we... Again, we can be in somewhat control, but here's another place that we can be in control, and that's in terms of renewing ourselves on a daily basis or on a nightly basis. Can you tell us a little bit about your perspective there?
2: You mean sleep. A third of our life um, should be engaged in renewal and recharging. This is where our bodies um, regenerate. It's where we detoxify. It's where we secrete hormones. It's, um, in fact, I know you're maybe going to ask about things like Alzheimer's. A good night's sleep is an important, a very, very crucial role in preventing Alzheimer's disease. Excellent to know. tragically, we're in a a time where sleep is a result of a pill that we take at night. And what that does is it alters... um, some of our sleep cycles that are crucial for renewal, particularly stage four sleep, where we're um, doing some cell regeneration and hormone secretion, in many cases gets blocked or doesn't occur in, in a natural um, healing format. So, you know, learning to change our, our habits of um, our sleep time, our wake time, Electricity is one of the reasons that we've screwed ourselves up because we're no longer going to bed with the sun and getting up with the sun like my grandfather did on the farm. Now we have electric lights and TVs and, and smartphones that keep us up to, to all hours and don't allow us to, to shut down, don't allow our pituitary gland to even produce melatonin, which is, you know as you know, one of the agents that we need a hormone for for, for sleep because um, our our eyeballs are connected through our nerves to the pituitary gland and inhibit that, that process. So then we end up finding ourselves taking melatonin, thinking that that maybe that will help us to sleep. And by the way, melatonin is is the most important um, antioxidant for your brain because it's the only one that really crosses the blood-brain barrier. So it's not just for sleep, it's to actually protect your brain from oxidative damage, DNA damage, and all the other nasty things that occur.
1: And, and what uh, is that uh, available? What do we find melatonin in?
2: Well, your body produces it naturally. Um, and, and that's what you really wanna focus on. So, you know, before you go to bed, you don't wanna be having those bright lights glaring in your eyes, right? You wanna have some calming down time in there. Have your sleep chamber non-distracting for yourself you know create that dark environment it should be for sleep or intimacy but not for you know sitting in bed with your smartphone um and and looking at the news that's going to stress you out anyway have a a similar wake-up time similar sleep time Um, you know when we goof up our circadian cycle uh, by all hours of up and down awake and asleep Um, we're not going to be able to uh, regenerate.
0: I really want to make a comment about that connection between the eyes and the pituitary gland and the production of melatonin. I, I really think that if people understood that calming the eyes is so key to creating a pre existing or a pro rest or a pro sleep cycle that we might find more willingness to comply with that because even taking it out of the out of the eyes and into the melatonin can sometimes kind of trigger people to want a melatonin pill, you know, melatonin mindset. But the kind of melatonin that's produced by quieting the nervous system in the ways that you're suggesting in terms of the complete darkness, the non-distracting, the hour or two before one intends to go to sleep, those are critical times in terms of brain health. Right. Well,
1: I do want to get to the topic of Alzheimer's. It is so important, and it's on all of our minds and everyone's mind. And then I want to hold number three and four and more secrets to staying young and proactive aging for the seminar that we'll be talking about in just a little bit, where Dr. Greg will be one of the power panelists. So let's talk about Alzheimer's. Uh, tell us, um, Dr. Gregg, what, is, what are the newest findings? What should we be alert to? How do we prevent it from happening?
2: Bibi, can I ask you a question? You may. Why do you care?
1: Oh, because I don't want to get it. Why? I don't want to find myself in that state where I'm semi-consciously aware of what's happening in my life. I want to be fully present at all times or not present.
2: So never mind if you're body's in great shape, but if you're not able to be engaged or connected to the world, what's the point? Right, And, and you're right. right. Surveys show that, uh, that adults over 50, um, the greatest fear that we have health-wise in the United States is losing your mind. Now, there, there are many forms of dementia and Alzheimer's being the most common one, the most prevalent. Currently, in the United States, there are 5.7 million adults with Alzheimer's. wow! Within the next 20 years, that number is project, projected to hit $14 million.
1: 14 million people. Mm-hmm.
2: 14 million people, mm-hmm. thank you. We're spending $277 billion right now treating it. In 20 years, it's gonna be $1.1 trillion. So any, quote, healthcare, which actually is sick care system, will, will, will fall apart under that. It's also a completely fatal disease. There's no cure for it. In fact, there's no real treatment for Alzheimer's disease. All the research that's been done to date on Alzheimer's has been trying to eliminate some things in brain tissue, um, beta amyloid plaque, um, uh, neurofibrillate tangles, things that are sort of strangulating our neurons, the, the brain cells. And we've been trying to find ways to get rid of it. But the most current research is suggesting that those things that are showing up in the brain were actually a protective response that the brain was was putting into our system in response to the true causes. And we believe now that there are sort of three general categories of causative um, relationships with with Alzheimer's. The first being one we've already touched on and that's inflammation. Inflammation that can come from either dietary changes or from chronic stress, which increases inflammation, or from chronic infections like um, gingivitis, periodontal disease, peptic ulcer disease, other organisms that are overtaking our system, or imbalances in the bacteria that reside in our gut, which are part of our of our immune system is regulated by our, quote, microbiome. So, inflammation and dealing with inflammation is probably the most important first step we could take. The second sort of general category of causative agents for Alzheimer's today is believed to be the lack of the sort of nutrients and other supportive agents for um, maintaining um, neuron health in the brain. So that would be dietary um, insufficiencies. And by the way, we're an overfed but undernourished country. Yes, um, yes. So we're, and, and by the way, virtually every drug and medication today causes nutrient deficiencies as well. So the more we drug ourselves up with pills to cover symptoms, we're also making ourselves more um, malnourished. Also, hormone imbalances and insufficiencies are, are, fall within that category of you know, nutrient and support, and the third would be, um, and maybe not as um, common yet, but that would be toxins like, um, you know, mercury and lead and, and other toxic agents um, that can uh, cause that that protective response to occur. So I'm pretty sure that continuing to struggle to find a drug that eliminates beta amyloid uh, beta amyloid. Um, will not be a successful venture and has not paid off at all. The, the The secret is prevention.
1: It's prevention.
2: And prevention is, you know, over 90% of all cases of Alzheimer's never had to happen.
1: That's astounding to me. That That's like, I have to take a breath when you say that. That we have that much, and that takes me to what you were saying, Andrea, about control, wanting to control. We have that control, right? But 90% didn't have to happen?
0: And the first piece wow. about that, and I think the piece that could be hopeful for the future, certainly for future generations, because the generation that's coming up into the later ages right now has been a generation exposed to antibiotics, exposed to taking a pill for this, that, and the other thing is is what you just said in enumerating the root causes is for us to at least for starters to be aware yes and once we're aware that leads to curiosity right and once we're curious we can ferret out and make combinations and and choose behaviors that can really be proactive in terms of our health yes and i can't
1: wait to Get more into the meat of this discussion, and we'll have an
0: opportunity to do that very soon, won't we? Yes, we have been very proactive in creating a power panel uh, this September. For those people lucky enough to be in Tucson… September the 13th, exactly. Right. It's a Thursday afternoon. And and what we are planning to do is also to have a recording of that panel discussion so that people who are not located in our local area can benefit from listening and becoming more aware and to keep that conversation going. Through our Facebook page, through our website, and through letting us know, writing to us the old-fashioned way. And yes, letting on us Facebook know.
1: and everywhere else. So uh, let's just um, enumerate the event. So that is September the 13th from 4 to 6.30 at the Highlands Golf and Country Club on, in Marana on Dove Mountain. You're able to get all the information, including the ability to purchase tickets on our website at boomgoddessradio.com. And we so look forward to uh, seeing everyone there and to further exploring this amazing discussion and opportunity and within reach elements that we have to stay vital and engaged and alive and hopeful and hopeful and hopeful absolutely dr greg thank you but before you go just for a moment please tell us everywhere we can find you on your website and you may want to spell the name to us and anywhere else that our listeners can connect with you
2: thank you baby The website is uh, renaissanceaging.com. And renaissance is spelled R-E-N-A-S-C-E-N-C-E, aging, A-G-I-N-G, dot com. My business phone number is 520-229-1900.
0: And we'll we'll be sure to... Write that out in our show notes, and you can find that in our blog on boomgoddessradio.com. And thank you for joining us. This was
1: very delightful, and for all the inspiration that you have shared with us. Much more to come.
2: Thank you.
0: For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.